Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast, where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is your Jedi Council graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host, Katie Gordon. How's it going today, Katie? Good, how are you doing? Not too bad. It's another week. We're mid-semester right now, I think. I think like today is like the mid-semester day, yeah. goes by fast. I guess that's actually called, not mid-semester. They're both. Yeah, they mean, they sound synonymous to me. They do, yeah. So, yeah, things are going pretty good. Uh, I'm enjoying the fall weather, and uh, that's about it. That's good. I had fun doing that Trends Like These um, episode last week, and I listened to Trends Like These, and we had one overlapping story with them. Did you Mm -hmm. notice that? They also talked about IQ a little bit. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, So, I I really kind of... uh, I don't know, it hit home for me, because yeah. it was kind of nice to do a tribute episode where we actually kind of uh, got on one of the same stories. Exactly. Yeah. So, hopefully Travis and Brent listened to it and enjoyed it. I don't think they probably did, but, but they we can They seem know. busy, They but... seem, well, 20 hours a week of just researching news, there's not a lot of time for listening to uh, fan podcasts. And I assume that, uh, I mean, they have a lot of fans, so I don't have to assume that. We know it. Um, we're, we're going to be seeing the McElroys and not that far that's too. That's right. Which is, I keep kind of forgetting about, but that's kind of sneaking up now. In like yeah, a month. Less than a month or just around yeah. a month, I think. So. That'll be fun. We can uh, record the episode onto a cassette tape and give it to Travis personally. And Perfect. Say, that go, sounds Travis. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm getting distracted. Uh, so first things first, I think we have a quick current event uh, news, which we are kind of hit and miss when we grab those. But if there's something important, we do want to make sure that we talk about it. That's right. We wanted to mention and acknowledge that with the news coming out and more and more Mm -hmm. stories coming out with regard to movie producer Mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein, and there are now multiple allegations of sexual offenses and and harassment and Mm -hmm. other types of things that have been in the news, and it's raised, it seems like a, a lot of people have, it's raised some awareness about some of the issues involving harassment and assault, and some of the dynamics that make it difficult for people to report things, and some of the responses that people get when they report things. And there's been some broader discussion, at least on social media and hopefully beyond that, about the dynamics here and what can be done to prevent future incidents like Harvey Weinstein. Of course, that's mostly been discussed with regard to Hollywood and within filmmaking, uh, but a lot of people are looking in their own areas, their own professions, and saying, are there problems here that we're missing, and how can we do things better? So one of the things that, and I don't know if you wanted to add anything, that was kind of a brief uh, overview. No, it was a perfect overview, though. No, you really captured our thoughts on it, and uh, overall, uh, what's just going to be going on. One of the way this discussion has continued, besides uh, continued news coverage and responses by various people who have worked with them, including Kevin Smith Mm -hmm. and other actors and actresses. Oops, sorry about that, guys. I just kicked my space heater, which we need (laughs) to have in offices here in Fargo, uh, although not not quite yet. Um, But anyway, so one of the social media things that occurred in this discussion is that Alyssa Milano, actress who was in um, 
it recently, I for some reason, I'm scared I'm going to get the series wrong. It's the Netflix series, Wet Hot American Summer. And she was actually in the most recent... Have you ever seen that? I never have, no. There was like an original movie, and then there was a Netflix series prequel and then this and and then there was this follow-up uh 10 years later and so that was just on so anyway Alyssa milano who's been on there and she's also been outspoken about a number of things on twitter issues that matter to her ranging from politics to other issues and so she encouraged individuals to use the hashtag or make their facebook statuses me too if they had experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault with the goal that people would kind of stream through their social media and see how just how many friends and family members and people that they have heard of in the case of Twitter, including celebrities, had experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault to get an idea of how this affects people that you know. Because often under some under circumstances, sometimes people don't talk about these things mm-hmm. with people. So it might it might be hard to grasp the magnitude. So anyway, there were a number of people on Twitter and through Facebook who wrote me too. Some of them detailed some of the events they experienced. Other people just simply added that in there to raise mm-hmm. visibility. And so one thing that's been pointed out that I that I want to highlight too is that approximately a decade ago, there was a woman who founded Me Too as a kind of grassroots movement for victims of sexual assault and the the woman's name who did that because um people want to make sure she got credit because Alyssa mm-hmm. milano again was um spearheaded this recent mm-hmm. but um her name is uh she's an activist named tarana burke and her idea for the me too movement was to aim to unify those who have been victimized by sexual violence and the idea was that if someone said me too, you would understand that that was someone that you could talk to or connect with. The campaign's motto is empowerment through empathy. And so I think that I will link to this mm-hmm. because I think that that is a cool campaign that she started. I think it probably does connect a lot of people. And I think it's helpful and it's important to give her credit for that as well as Alyssa Milano credit for um, getting for widely spreading people doing this Um you know, and I don't know if she thought about it separately and didn't know that this already existed. I'm not sure what it was. But the overall point which that we really wanted to talk about, aside from making sure that we gave this woman proper credit for mm-hmm. starting this, is that depending on your own experiences, it could be a difficult time. You could have a lot of a range of emotions seeing people say me too. So people who have experienced harassment or assault themselves they might feel less alone because now they're seeing a lot of people have experienced this or they might react in a different way where it's painful to see oh other people have experienced similar things. You know, there's just a wide range of emotions and we just wanted to let you know that those emotions are okay. We're going to we're going to link to a resource for you so you can read more about it and then it's just important to get the support you need if that involves trying to see a mental health professional talk about that's important if it involves talking to friends and family members talking to um, someone who a pastor or clergy whoever it is that helps you to feel better and it feels safe for you to talk about that um, to take care of yourself and do what you need to do that I'm going to specifically link to RAIN R-A-I-N-N which is an organization that has 
a um, that focuses specifically on rape abuse and incest. It's a national network. It's the nation's United States largest anti-sexual violence organization. And I'll link to the website, like I said, but also there's a national sexual assault hotline if you live in the United States. It's 1-800-656-HOPE. And that's a way that you can reach out to people that have some knowledge in this area if you're seeking some extra support. Awesome. Thanks, Katie. I, I like everything that you just said, and I'd just like to reiterate uh, the the kind of normalization that everyone responds to these sort of things differently and just making sure that uh, I know sometimes people, when they respond to things, feel a little guilty for their response, and it's okay to just feel what you're feeling, and it's okay to reach out for the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're just sending some support out your way as this discussion continues to happen. I do hope that this broader mission does serve to improve things so mm-hmm. that it reduces harassment and assault. But in the meantime, it's clear that this is going to take a lot of work. Yeah, and absolutely. there's been there have been a lot of things put in place, but part of the tough thing is when you see a case like Harvey Weinstein, you see this is something that apparently people knew about. Yeah. And there were things that were illegal, certainly, but that wasn't enough to stop his behavior because of the power dynamics and other things mm-hmm. going on. And I think that's part of what makes it stressful to hear about and but it also highlights the areas where we need improvement yeah absolutely well said katie anything else on that before we move on for today no okay that sounds good i want to start off too by just doing a really quick twitter shout out which we usually say for the end but uh sometimes i forget at the end so i want to start with it today uh our friend over at uh on twitter at death by mage uh always so nice and i just want to do a nice shout out this weekend and i might uh, do a nice fall friday on friday uh always super nice about sharing our patreon page Mm -hmm. and uh you know giving us ideas or feedback on things that we're talking about or just sharing the podcast and uh i just uh, know that we've talked about trying to do more to uh thank the people who interact with us and are nice enough to share our podcast uh because that's how more people will learn about it and we really appreciate that so uh, Death by Mage uh, has uh, is making D and D content. You can check out on their Patreon page too, uh, if you want to look into some of that stuff. And uh, with a blog and a potential podcast, so a lot of cool stuff. So I just wanted to take a second to say thank you uh, to Death by Mage and everyone else who's nice enough to share our show. Oh, and we had a new patron too oh. on Patreon. I think did we ever share our third one? I don't think we did, and we do need to do that. Yes, uh, and and. I probably shouldn't admit this on the air, but I don't know what our password is for our Patreon account. I tried to log in to find the name, uh, and I wasn't able to. And we probably shouldn't say it on the, <laughs> on the air, I suppose. Why don't so you guess we... a few, and I'll just yeah. announce what that it is. Good. I'm, we have a few different interchangeable ones, it's so I'm true. not sure. I tested I can... all of the regular, <laughs> and it seemed that none of them worked. I might have to retrieve it somehow, <laughs> okay. but I'll tell you what. Oh, actually, I remembered what happened. Not that everyone needs to listen to sure. this. But remember, we had our Patreon account, and then we deactivated it. Yes. And then I could neither start a new account nor reactivate it, and so I had to use a different email address. So that's, that's what, what it is. Okay. Yeah. So that explains why I wasn't able to log in to uh, find the... I'm not trying to exclude you. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I can take a hint, and I can tell when I'm being uh, kind of shouldered out of podcast. <laughs> and uh, that was the hint for me. No. So, so we'll figure it out, and we will give a shout-out to that person, because yes. I really do appreciate it. Yes, Absolutely. I guess I probably could have just not mentioned it at all, and we could have shared it in the future instead of... Well, you of can cut this out of your mic. <laughs> ...being so clear about our... Uh, not... Uh, at least my not uh, 
in my ineptitude with passwords, I guess. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, okay. Let's a lot move. of letters, a lot of numbers, a <laughs> lot of symbols. Hard to keep them all straight. <laughs> let's, let's move on before I embarrass myself and the podcast further. Uh, today, uh, it might be a little bit of a shorter episode, actually, because uh, I have a meeting coming up pretty soon, and we did a lot of chatting, which is always good. But at least we want to get started today. So we're going to talk a little bit about behavior modification, and this was actually a topic that you suggested, Katie, and I was wondering what uh, what got you thinking about behavior modification as a Jedi Council topic? That's a great question. A couple of things. One is I know that you're teaching it this semester, mm -hmm. and so I wanted to take the opportunity to hear about your recent and updated expertise sure. on it. Secondly, I know you and I have talked about this, but we've both tried to modify various behaviors mm -hmm. of our own over time. And I usually have a couple things that I'm working on, and so I also wanted to get some tips. Okay. And I thought that other, I, you know, other than me, because I guess I could just ask you while we're not recording for some <laughs> tips, I thought that that might be something that our listeners were interested in too. I mean, I think it's pretty common for all of us that we get into certain habits or behaviors that we're trying to change, and it's hard. And so if we can use some of what we know from psychological science to make that a little bit easier for people, I thought that might be helpful. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And you said some key things that I want to reiterate just quickly. First, you, the one thing that you said is a lot of people are trying to make some changes. And, uh, and second, you said that it's hard. And I think those things are both... A, just incredibly true, and B, incredibly evident through the self-help industry, which I imagine, I don't know the value of that industry, but it's immense, I think. I can say it's pretty safe. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of interest in the self-help section mm -hmm. of the stuff. People paying a lot of money for diets because mm -hmm. they're trying to change their weight or something else mm -hmm. about their health. I mean, there you're right. There is a lot of demand for mm -hmm. that. And we've also <laughs> talked about there are various celebrities who give mm -hmm. advice. Some of them are mental health professionals. Some of them are not. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them are self-proclaimed um, kind of advice givers. Mm -hmm. And and so there's, there's a demand for it, oh, for yeah. sure. And I can understand that. I think most of us strive to be better than we are in some ways over time, gain some wisdom, do mm -hmm. some things differently. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're just going to kind of cut out some of the excess. We're not going to try to sell you anything today. Um, no. <laughs> uh, but It's actually, there's nothing, a lot of the self-help industry manages to kind of have flashy ways yeah. to get people involved. The flashiest thing we can offer is that this stuff, seems to on average work pretty well better than yeah. other stuff yeah absolutely uh but i will say that uh, and you said this too change is hard and that's another thing i see a lot in the self-help industry is two easy steps or right. one way to cut this or do that uh I, one thing that we know just through simple behavior modification and through our work in clinical training uh change is not easy almost never and it's challenging uh, so even for psychologists, it's, even for psychologists, it's tough. yeah. So, um, yeah, just generally for anyone. So, what we'll offer you today is just what, uh, or I have a sinking suspicion. Looking at the clock, this is going to be a multi-part episode. I agree, uh, which I'm okay with. So, what we're going to do, uh, or what we're going to offer you for this, is just uh, I think we'll talk about behavior modification, just sort of as a field, uh, and I want to talk about some of the underlying principles of behavior. And then I thought we could take those and talk about how can you apply those in self-management uh, to engage in your own behavior change. It's kind of uh, the direction I see this mm -hmm. episode taking. 
Are you cool with that? I am. Okay. I like the outline you sent me. It looks, <laughs> looks good. Perfect. Very thorough. Maybe I'll post a snippet of it on Instagram. That sounds great. Uh, so, yes, as you mentioned, I'm teaching uh, right now Introduction to Behavior Modification here at NDSU and uh, really enjoying it a lot, teaching the class, because I think uh, I'm going to just be sort of bouncing ideas off you and asking mm. you questions, but I don't always necessarily mean specific you, but when thinking about behavior... The real you. Yes, thank you. Uh, I think... When you hear behavior modification, people think, oh, yeah, operant conditioning, classical conditioning. Sure, I I understand that. Uh, and I, I'm not sure anyone really understands the difference. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, of course, people do. Uh, so a lot of the behavior modification that we're going to focus on is really going to be uh, under that operant conditioning sort of thing. And operant conditioning really focuses on, let's take a look at the consequences uh, or rather, let's take a look at the antecedents that evoke behavior, and let's take a look at the reinforcers or consequences that maintain behaviors and examine in the environment what are the controlling variables that evoke and maintain behavior, and what do we need to do to change those variables to engage in uh, long-term behavior change. So that's really how I would sum up operant behavior, and that's what I think we're going to be really focusing on for this episode. The way I try to remember it is it focuses on the way that you as a person are operating in the environment mm -hmm. and what responses you're getting mm -hmm. and what that has to do mm -hmm. with how likely you are to repeat the behavior. Mm -hmm. um, whereas classical conditioning, as most people know, that you know, think about Pavlov's mm -hmm. dogs where they ring the bell and then give the dogs food. They ring the bell, the dogs salivate because they see the food, and then ultimately they have a pairing it's kind of more of a passive situation, mm -hmm. but there's a pairing between the bell and the food such that when you just ring the bell, they salivate even when there's not mm -hmm. food. And so that's kind of the classical condition response. Or in the office, mm -hmm. there's the classic the clicker. classical conditioning. Or the computer trap. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, Jim conditions Dwight. He's, he does the restart of his mm -hmm. computer, and it has those little chimes that offers him an Altoid every single time he hears those chimes. So then ultimately Jim does the restart, the chimes go on, and Dwight sticks out his hand and says, my mouth is so dry, and Jim's <laughs> yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. So he doesn't even realize that. And so anyway, we've talked a little bit about that when we talked about how people get phobias and how mm -hmm. to um, treat phobias, but just wanted to contrast those as a quick review. Mm -hmm. I'm happy you did it, because I think I speak for a lot of people when those terms, you learn them in your intro psych class, yeah, I sort of get it. You don't really think about it probably ever again until today when you're hearing this podcast. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's true for a lot of people, but I think generally that's the experience. I know a lot of my students, uh, that was their experience, and, and uh, diving into the level of detail of an entire course and let's break this down has been eye-opening for a lot of them. And teaching it for me, too, mm -hmm. has been, you know... Uh, I feel like I had a pretty, pretty good grasp of it to begin with. But, of course, when you teach something, you, you learn an immense oh, amount yeah. about it. And I didn't have as much of a background like I didn't have normal. So, at any rate, I want to just introduce behavior modification to start off with. So, what is behavior modification? Because I think people, let's, I mean, starting there will kind of give you a good foundation. So, behavior modification is both a field of study as well as an area of clinical focus. So, in terms of a field of study, that's where we've seen behavior modification for a longer period of time. This is when in, you know, a lot like uh, Pavlov's dog, that's where we see stuff like that. Uh, folks like Skinner, Thorndike, uh, folks, uh, um, behaviorism. Uh, that leads into it. So looking at some of the research that happen, has happened over the years, and a lot of this early stuff 
really focused on animal behavior. And uh, the researchers really thought they were so clever because they could take pigeons or they could take rats or cats uh, or dogs and uh, modify the behavior and, and said, well, look at how smart we are. Then they found out that we can change humans' behaviors almost just as easily as the animals. So they didn't feel quite as clever after that. But that's kind of the evolution of the field. We started with animals. Then we took a look at humans and said, look, we can change human behavior too. And after that, uh, it started being applied in more of a clinical sense. The sense that let's focus on behavioral problems and see how can we change those problems. Uh, a lot of the research primarily focused on individuals with developmental disabilities earlier on, but it's been applied more broadly since then. So a uh, really quick crash course on the kind of on the, res the research side of things. Uh, there are like somewhere around like 20 journals specifically focused on uh, applied behavior analysis or uh, in terms of a field of study. So it's uh, it's its own field of study, scientific field of study. Yeah. On the other side, we have the clinical focus, a lot like clinical psychology. I guess it mirrors in a lot, a lot of ways. Uh, applied to behavior analysis. So being applied and applied to behavior analysis is a job. Uh, it ha comes with its own training. Uh, it has its own sort of governing boards. So things like the Association for Behavior Analysis International or the Association of Professional Behavior Analysts, things like that, that sort of dictate the ethics and the guidelines for the practice of applied behavior analysis. And these are individuals that using what we know and the underlying principles of behavior will go in, do a functional assessment, uh, get a sense of the environment, what's evoking the behavior, what's maintaining it, and figuring out what do we need to change in the environment to uh, reduce problem behaviors and promote more adaptive or healthy behaviors to replace those problem behaviors and serve whatever function the problem behavior might have had. That's my two-minute behavior modification crash course. Is there anything that you think needs more clarification before we start talking about specific principles of behavior? No, I think I'll just say that there are kind of a lot of synonyms like behavior analysis, behavioral oh, modification, yes. modification mm. and they're related, maybe have slightly different mm -hmm. implications, but for the purposes of this yes. podcast, it's pretty much, it's all behavior change, yes. and it's using principles like Brennan said of operant conditioning to mm -hmm. try to change behavior. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, because uh, as my students have pointed out, even when you even get more nitty-gritty, which we're not going to do for the purposes of this primer crash course, but like... Functional analysis versus functional assessment. Right. What's the difference? Like, yeah, that stuff's important. But for today, just like Katie said, we're talking about behavior change. And we're talking about the folks who make it their job to understand behavior and go in and develop these procedures to change behavior or research it and understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of the underlying principles of behavior uh, that we know uh, come into play when we're talking about operant conditioning. So I think the first one is probably reinforcement. And I think almost everyone, if you asked them, hey, what's reinforcement, could give you a pretty rough sort of idea. And really, reinforcement is just the idea that you've got a behavior and it's followed by some other consequence uh, that will strengthen the behavior. And by strengthen, what we mean is it will increase the likelihood that the behavior will happen or increase the intensity through which the behavior will happen or decrease the latency through which the behavior might happen following some other consequence. Um, now, on the surface, that sounds easy, but then when you go a little deeper, people start to get confused, and understandably so. And I wish I would have been there when they thought of these terms, because I would have said, don't use it. <laughs> because, of course, within reinforcement, like uh, our other uh, principles of behavior, you have positive and negative reinforcement. 
And this is what starts to trip people up. Because positive and negative, of course, are loaded terms that have other meanings related to good or bad. Or, or things related to almost like morality. Yep, we want things that are positive. We don't want things that are negative. Ignore that. Forget it. In this context, when we're talking about positive and negative reinforcement, we're specifically thinking about is something being added or is something being taken away. With reinforcement, when you're talking about positive reinforcement, you're adding a positive reinforcer following the behavior. With negative reinforcer, you're removing an aversive stimulus following the behavior. The goal of both of those is to increase the likelihood of the behavior happening again. That's right. Can I give an example? Please. One of the behaviors I have tried to change of my own has to do with my sleeping habits because mm -hmm. I'm a night person and that's not real good when you have to be up early in the morning. <laughs> and so there are different... I'll apply just an example of positive and negative reinforcement. So if I'm staying up late because when I stay up late, I get to watch Netflix and catch up on shows I want to watch... And I, right, that's a positive reinforcement because me staying up late, I watch shows that I want to watch. It increases the likelihood I'm going to do the same behavior the next day. Yes. However, if let's say I have um, insomnia and I have trouble sleeping, and so when I go to sleep, it's, un it's an unpleasant experience because I'm tossing and turning and I'm afraid I won't be able to fall asleep. So I decide, you know what, I'm just going to stay up and watch TV then that can be a negative reinforcement mm -hmm. because I am avoiding the unpleasantness of trying to go, go to sleep and not being able to. And so it both increase the likelihood that I'm going to stay up watching mm -hmm. TV, but the, the method, the mechanisms of reinforcement are different. And one, I'm having this kind of rewarding experience that increases the likelihood of watching mm -hmm. TV and enjoying that. And another one, I'm watching TV to avoid Mm -hmm. something and that can be negatively reinforcing perfect yeah that's a that's a perfect example and just I, completely hypothetical <laughs> yeah not at all based on <laughs> no, real life experiences <laughs> uh i wish i would have come up with some examples ahead of time but i'm so happy you're here because that's such a great <laughs> example uh examples would have been really helpful to illustrate the the principles but you've got me covered on that okay so reinforcement i feel like we've got it do you feel like we've got it i think so listeners do you feel like we've got it this isn't a live show, we'll never know. <laughs> uh, so next I want to talk about extinction. Um, extinction or trying to extinguish a behavior, uh, you need to think about behaviors that have been previously reinforced. And when you're applying extinction, what you're really doing is just no longer providing uh, the reinforcer. Um, so uh, I was going to try to apply this to your sleep examples, but I'm not sure it's a clean example for extinction. What if I don't allow... Any TV watching. Right. If you were just to sit and sit in the quiet in the dark. Uh, for me, that might be reinforcing. That sounds peaceful. But <laughs> for your example, it works perfect. So Katie's behavior was previously reinforced, hypothetically, in that uh, her behavior, the operant behavior is staying up late. The positive reinforcer that followed that was she got to watch shows on Netflix that she wanted to watch. And as a result, uh, she was likely to continue, more likely to stay up late to watch shows. So now if we're engaging in extinction, the operant behavior is that Katie stays up late to watch TV. But if we remove their positive reinforcer, we cancel her Netflix subscription and unplug her TV. Oh, no. Uh, the behavior is no longer being positively reinforced. So this will uh, weaken the behavior or decrease the likelihood that it will happen. Um, which, of course, sometimes with these examples, and I, and I say this in class a lot, 
and this is because I have them come up with examples or I provide examples, but behavior is wildly complex uh, and multifaceted. Uh, so, of course, you might be thinking at home, well, maybe she would read a book or maybe she'd do something else. If you think of what I, in this and what I like to call a behavior vacuum, where there's no other real alternative behaviors that can come into place. We just focus on the reinforcer and take that away and assume there's nothing else. Then the staying up late behavior is less likely to happen. And one of, if, you know, the fact that you said that, so one of the treatments for insomnia, I think, fits that framework, which is taking away, trying to go to bed, say 10 o'clock is when you like to go to bed, but Mm -hmm. you toss and turn for two hours or something. And on average, people take around 30 minutes to fall asleep if they're not having sleep problems. There's a huge range in that. Mm -hmm. So if you're outside of that range, that's fine. But a lot of time people feel like it's supposed to be more instant than that. Mm-hmm. So often one part of many parts of insomnia treatment, which we should do an episode on oh, yeah. sometime, is to say, I want you, instead of trying to go to bed at 10, try to go to bed at 2 a.m. And that way the person is not, is they're actually trying to stay up. So it's taking away mm-hmm. the aversive part of I'm trying to sleep, but mm-hmm. I can't. This is a negative situation. I want to avoid it by watching TV. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, no, you're you're supposed to stay up until 2 a.m. This is the beginning of treatment. It might modify that. But the idea is then you're not worried about trying to fall asleep. You might fall asleep mm-hmm. more easily. You certainly aren't making it worse mm-hmm. by telling yourself, oh, I need to go to sleep right now. And so that's one way that behavior modification is used for mm-hmm. kind of the negative reinforcement example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another perfect example. Or removing that yep. part of the situation. Yep, that's exactly right. So whatever it is, whether or not it's adding, when you're thinking of positive reinforcement, adding a positive reinforcer or negative reinforcement, removing an aversive stimulus, with extinction, you just stop doing that. You no longer uh, engage in that uh, experience. And extinction is one of the, you know, applying extinction is an effective behavior modification technique for reducing problem behaviors. Because unlike reinforcement, that is primarily focused on uh, increasing behaviors. Uh, usually what you want to try to do when you're developing behavior modification procedures is apply extinction to reduce the problem behaviors and reinforce alternative behaviors that serve the same function, which gets complicated. And that's where you need to have a really thorough understanding of all of the antecedents and consequences of the behavior in the environment. Yeah, that's, in a nutshell, that's what extinction is. And then, potentially most confusing of all, but maybe Mm not, we have punishment. And punishment, just like reinforcement, also comes in the positive or negative form. And people hear positive punishment and they're not exactly sure what what in the world does that even mean. And again, I would ask you, dear listeners, for a moment, suspend what you are thinking about positive and negative being good or bad, and suspend what you're thinking about for punishment, too. Because the general sort of conception of punishment doesn't always fit within the behavior modification literature, or uh, jargon, or terminology, or lexicon, whatever. Punishment is really the the opposite of reinforcement. The goal is to decrease a behavior. Um, But this time, with positive punishment, what you're doing is adding an aversive stimulus, And with negative punishment, you're removing uh, a positive reinforcer with the goal uh, outcome being to reduce behavior. Does that make sense? I think it does, but it's... There are a lot of ins and outs. There are a lot of ins and outs, and people get very caught up in thinking about what's the difference between extinction and negative punishment, because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlap there. And there's a real subtle difference. With extinction, you're talking about a previously reinforced behavior, and you're uh, removing or you are not reinforcing it with punishment you're removing the reinforcer <laughs> it's subtle so is my ex- 
Were any of the examples I just gave wrong? No, okay. I don't think they were. <laughs> I think they were all just right. Okay. And this is where sometimes you can get into a, a little bit of a problem, too. Uh, and my students say this to me all the time, Brandon, I think you're full of it. Because <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> to be clear, they haven't said that. And to be clear, I knew this very well okay. at one point, but I am rusty, so I appreciate oh, this refresher. No, it's just fine. Uh, so it gets tricky because depending on how you frame something, it could be pu- reinforcement or punishment. So, for example, uh, an example that I th- am thinking of right now off the top of my head is driving behaviors. Uh, so if the idea is the idea that you want to increase legal abiding driving behaviors or is it that you want to decrease illegal driving behaviors so sometimes it really boils down to framing and that's where you need to think about i mean what's the behavior that's happening are you trying to increase that behavior or decrease it but it's not always clean and a lot of times it involves a little bit of both at any rate punishment isn't used quite as much as reinforcement and extinction anyway when you're talking about behavior modification and that's for a couple of reasons there's a little bit of controversy about punishment So one problem with punishment is it can be negatively reinforcing for the person who's using the punishment because uh, the aversive stimulus or the aversive behavior that they're punishing is being removed, so they might be more likely to engage in punishment procedures because it's being negatively reinforced for them. There's also research to show that a lot of punishing behaviors are actually modeled. So if people are observing punishment, they might be more likely to use punishment themselves which isn't always the best thing, uh, you know, just depending on the environment or uh, if you've just got someone seeing punishment as a procedure but doesn't have the right training or isn't thinking about these things in the same way, using those sort of of procedures themselves might not be totally safe. So, yeah, it's better to focus on uh, the reinforcement and extinction or more common for sure. Uh, Punishment, not quite as much for some of those reasons. So really, uh, those are kind of the three main underlying principles of behavior that I think will come into play when we're talking about self-management, which is going to really be the next main part of the episode, is how can we take these principles and apply them to ourselves to modify our own behavior? That's a great introduction, and because I know you have a meeting soon, I think we'll wrap up. But I wanted to tell anyone listening to feel free to tweet at us or email or Facebook message us if you have any specific questions you want us to cover in part two to this mm-hmm. series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll leave it there today and just kind of let you let the uh, the principles of behavior percolate a little bit <laughs> because they, they're confusing. And if it's all the same to you, Katie, I don't know if we can attach an image to our descriptions, but I've got kind of a nice table that really helps uh, visually kind of put together what's the difference between punishment and reinforcement. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, maybe we'll add that too because I find that those visual aids are sometimes easy, especially when you're talking about such subtle differences. Yeah. So we'll leave it there. Uh, yes, reach out if you have any uh, any questions or things that we can address. And next week what we'll do is focus on taking these principles, applying them to yourself to change your own behavior. That's right. All right. Uh, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you have a second to leave a review, we'd really appreciate that. If you have a second to check out our Patreon page, we really appreciate that too. Check out the other shows on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. If you click around, I'm sure you'll find another one that you like. They're all good. And uh, I've been watching a lot of Frasier, as you know. And I really just want to steal Frasier's sign-off. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a good one. Just wishing you good mental health? That's really nice. It is. It's certainly not like trademarked, I bet. <laughs> I, I don't know how trademarks work. But at any rate. We gave proper credit. We are wishing you good mental health, and uh, you'll hear from us next week.